Welcome back, everybody, to So Every Soul Sings, Worship for the Real Church. I'm Bethany Pedigo, and I'm here with my friend Rod Ellis. And today we are again joined by some of our best friends in uh, the worship world here and in ministry, Craig and Heather Bitterling. And their ministry is called Arts Alive. We've been having some discussions with them about really riveting things like drama and creative scripture presentation. And today we are going to talk about creativity more generally um, because, well, first of all, I find it fascinating that the fourth and fifth words in scripture are. God created. Mm-hmm. And I know, Heather, especially, you love to talk about this. Uh, we actually had you come to one of our creative workshops and, and do our keynote address on um, a creativity. Because, because God is creative, we are also made to be creative. However, uh, oftentimes in the, in the church, it's different than it used to be. We've talked about uh, historically, it was perhaps different at some other time in history, but currently uh, in many churches, uh, creativity or creative people are for some reason not included always in planning worship services or in the execution of worship services. So let's start with the more philosophical question, um, if you will. Uh, Why should we be creative in our worship gatherings? And thank you again for joining us today. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that you already alluded to it somewhat in that we are made in the image of a creative God. This is what we see him doing. And as we seek to be Christ-like and we grow in him, creativity overflows from that. And the creativity that he has given us are tools that we have to worship him and to show him to the world. And so I would think that we do it as an act of obedience. We do it as our worship back to him. But another thing that is to note for a reason why we would be creative in worship is that as we are trying to communicate the gospel in, in the worship setting, Um, not just us worshiping God, but also leading others to understand him and know him better. We want to be able to do that in as many different ways as is possible because there's so many different types of people sitting there. And so there's something in the educational world when you're trying to teach a child something, you want them to see it, to hear it, to speak it, to write it, and to do it. And when you hit all of those five learning styles, if you will, it just makes the maximum impact of what it is that you're trying to teach the child. So if we are able to do that within a worship service, we just maximize our impact of being able to make sure that everybody there at that worship service is able to know God and worship him in that moment, building on um, that in a creative way is how we do that, I think, to be creative and not just present the gospel in one way, but thinking creatively in all of the different ways that we can present this same thing and we can worship God in these ways. 
Yeah, and I think you have a, you know, if worship is to be a response, then you have a congregation, a church of very different people, diverse people who respond in different ways. You know, you have right brain people, you have left brain people, you have uh, extroverts and introverts, and everybody responds to God's word in a different way. So if we try to apply a one-size-fits-all worship experience um, week after week after week after week, we're missing some people who don't respond to that. If if we set music and singing up as this is the way, the way to worship, there are a lot of non-musical people that are just uncomfortable in that and, and they're left out and need a way for them to express themselves in worship. Um, so... Um, being creative and keeping it fresh and new gives everyone um, more opportunity to participate and to be part of the worship. It also keeps it from becoming stagnant. Uh, when you do something in a rote way over and over and over, that certainly has value in that then it becomes impressed upon you, but it can also um, become where it's just something that you do. We do this thing over and over. We don't even think about it. And when it's presented in a fresh new way, we're going to do this in a new creative way. It just opens up your mind to a, a deeper level of understanding, to really being able to engage with the thing instead of just shutting down, you know, this is how we always do it. So creativity, gosh, we could, we could talk for days on this. It has so much value within the worship service. And, and even, go ahead, even, churches that are very liturgical and there is, this is the way we do our services. There's still a lot of room for creativity mm-hmm. with those confines. We can still hit all of the elements that we want to be part of the service and, and do it in a fresh creative way. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we'll take days to talk about it, although it would be so fun for the four of us <laughs> to do that. I don't know if the listener would be up for that, um, right. but I do want to, I do want to drill down a little bit more on why. And, and I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, for the listeners, Heather reviewed the questions that we sent ahead of time. And then I'm thinking, I'm going to blow that out of the water with this next question. So hang on. <laughs> um, can, can you think of either stories or examples in the scriptures where creativity played a role in what we would call worship? Are there, are there again, examples, stories, the role of Jesus, you know, Old Testament, temple, tabernacle, whatever? How, how would you have seen creativity? Um, demonstrated or displayed in any of those places? And if you don't have any, I, I can come up with a couple, but I suspect you might know more than I do. So any thoughts that come to mind? The first thing that comes to mind for me is the festivals. Uh, okay. The festivals at set times of the year where particular things were done that were outside of the normal uh, you know, meetings of the church. And the festivals were creative ways to remember and to celebrate and memorialize things that God had done. Um, being a, from a theatrical background, I think of the festival of Purim, which involves, you know, reenacting the story of Esther mm-hmm. and realizing the story of Esther as a group with the crowd booing every time, you know, we mentioned the villain. Um, <laughs> yes. I love it. He's remembering what God has done and God ordained those festivals to be observed. Mm-hmm. And and even just the the symbolism of you know the bread and and the wine, I, the, these these symbolic things are creative in nature. They are physical things that 
that remind us of who God is and what he has done. And you see that symbolism, which is a, a form of creativity all throughout scripture. Uh, we're at home going through the book of Genesis as a family right now. And it's so interesting to just see the way God has laid the foundation. He gives us these symbols, these likenesses of what he's going to do in the future. He continues to reveal himself in creative ways. Uh, so definitely. And then Jesus, I, I of course, add- takes that symbol of the Old Testament bread of presence, which became a part of Passover. And he opens all of that up with what we now call communion or Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. And so the symbols, like, as you said, that God set in place very, very early on in the history of his people, Jesus then entirely overhauls what that means and, and brings light to it that it had never seen before. And then 2,000 years later, we are still seeing that, and we're a beneficiary of that um, progressive revelation, which is just extraordinary and beautiful. I also think of the temple and the beauty of it. Talking about creativity, my goodness, just to walk into a space and be overwhelmed by the power, majesty, and beauty of God just because of your faith. Yes. Well, and when you look at the tabernacle and you think of the way God told them to build it, it's like, it could have just been, you know, animal skins, but he, he has them weave it and make it in a certain way with elements that are beautiful, that have absolutely no reason for their, you know, utilitarian purpose. They're right. just there for beauty. God loves beauty and creativity. I mean, when you look at our world and all that God has created, it is so much of it is is beautiful and is is only there for us to gaze upon it and see the beauty because we 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 serve a beautiful god and he values creativity and uniqueness i mean goodness you can look at the animal kingdom and see how diverse it is uh, so again why are we creative in our worship gatherings god is a creative god it's one of the first things that we know about him we do it in response to a creative God. He's, he's, creativity also is communication. And so as we communicate with God in our worship, I don't know how it could not be creative and communicative in nature. That's, that's inherent in worship in, in my mind. I think, too, in the, um, in the presentation of the word, um, God has been creative from the beginning. I mean, Jesus told parables, storytelling to mm-hmm. get his message across. Um, I think of the prophet Ezekiel, who God asked to do some really weird things in, in playing and dramatizing and building models and all these things to demonstrate uh, truths to the people um, it, in ways that don't make sense to us today, but hopefully it made some sense to the people at the time. Um, it was relevant and it was, it was new and fresh. Yeah. When, when God promised that he would never again flood the world, he could have just said that, but instead he gave them a sign this beautiful rainbow in the sky, which was gorgeous. And still to this day, you know, prompts wonder in people when they see it, the anointing oil for the tabernacle was had beautiful smells associated with it. It was this very, very powerful smelling perfume that they anointed things with. And I think about when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, you know, they could have just suddenly 
felt something inside, which I think they did, but they also saw something, these, these flames above people's heads, and they heard something, the sound like a mighty rushing wind. So God is so creative. Yes, and when you utilize all of those senses, those, those artistic elements that, that engage the eye and the ear and the body, when, when we engage these things, we really are then allowing people to be fully engaged in their worship instead of, you know, sitting back and I'm watching what's happening. I have to engage because my eyes are seeing this and my ears are hearing this and my, my, my arms are doing this, whatever it might be. You're asking people to engage in numerous ways. Uh, Great reason for creativity in worship. One of my favorite definitions of worship is decades and decades old. It comes from Archbishop William Temple, who said, Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of the mind with his truth, the purifying of the imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable that just sounds like creativity is going to help that happen Yes, in all of those different ways. It's, it's not just about using your brain in a teaching time and using your voice in a singing time. It's about engaging the mind and the imagination and the heart and the will. And all of those things correspond mm-hmm. with our senses, right? So Absolutely. back to your point, Heather, about using, engaging all of the senses that engages all of the person. Uh, at least for William Temple, that sounds like that might have been very helpful. Uh, when I go to a more liturgical church service and I smell incense or um, I smell the wine at the communion table or whatever those those aromas are, that changes for me the worship encounter. And, and that's not saying that I should stop being Baptist and go be Anglican. Uh, right. It's just that it, it opens myself to a, a broader expression of who God is. And, and I just, I love that. I, and the more we can learn from one another across traditions and denominations uh again not to deny who we are because there are reasons we are the way we are but perhaps to just explore and expand in a way that we can never expand enough to get to how big god is so let's continue expanding in creativity and and maybe get closer and i think that would just really potentially revolutionize the worship gathering of some of the folks who are listening and, and ours as I continue to try to plan with creativity. Yeah, I, I definitely think the leaders who are, you know, taking these creative elements and making them a part of the worship service, God does something in us as we do that, you know, to, to be able to be creative, somebody has to come up with that creative idea and so the work that God does in us as we come before him and, and he reveals something fresh and new and creative to us, that's the wonder that happens before you ever get to the service where you are then, you know, helping other people worship. So it has so many wonderful uh, attributes to use creativity. So this- this may be a difficult question to answer. So I'm open to all of you all saying, we don't really know, but why is it? Do you think? Because we would all, we're all musicians uh, in addition to many other things, right? We all sing and 
play instruments and I write songs and Craig writes songs and Heather writes, I mean, music and songs and songwriting is very creative, but why is it, do you think, in the church that for some reason we don't really think of music as being like creativity or creative and we sort of put other things in the category of, you know, the extra creative maybe, or the really creative like drama or dance or, you know, art or lighting or, you know, things like that. Do you know, do you all have any thoughts on that? Um, well, the first thing that I think of is just that our, our culture on the whole for, for many hundreds of years now has really valued music and it is very valuable. Uh, and so you receive a lot of training in these things. I mean, almost every school, maybe every school in America has a music program. Many of them have art programs. Some of them have drama programs. Almost none have dance programs. So, so if you look at that, like what are, what are we saying as a culture is important? And, you know, not to put down the, the, the STEM people, but we've kind of elevated that right now in our culture, like science and technology, this is the most important thing and every school needs to have this. And, and at the same time, we're saying, we don't, we don't really have to have art. We, you know, we can cut that or, I mean, we have so many friends who are drama teachers in schools. Well, now in COVID, they cut the drama program immediately. And yeah, I mean, obviously for different reasons, but it's very much something that is expendable. It's, it's not an essential thing. Music is just on the totem pole higher in our society. So many more people have the opportunity to learn that and to, to do that. So if a lot of people know how to do something, we sort of say, well, this is not as special a skill. Only these few people. So I think that's really maybe the heart of where it comes from. But you're right. Music is a beautiful, creative talent. My goodness, you, you see people just burst into song in worship to God. Words that are just coming from their heart and, and melodies that he's given them. And that is every bit as creative as drama or dance or visual art, a painting, a sculpture that's in, in the service. But it's just that fewer people have been given the opportunity to learn and cultivate those skills. I think maybe too, part of it is the, um, the music has been a part of the formula for so long that it's normative in the service. We expect music, you know, mm -hmm. even in the most rigid services, we know, okay, every week we have a prelude and a postlude and three hymns and one response, responsive hymn. And so it becomes rote and loses some of that creative newness and freshness, even though the music itself is a creative expression. Um, so maybe just finding ways to use music in different places in the service for different effects, for different reasons, um, refreshes that create, creative thought. There is certainly also some history at play when the Protestant Reformation rolled around, depending on the reformer, you know, Calvin and Zwingli and um, Luther and all of those guys, they had differing opinions on what should be included in the worship gathering. Um, that's why some traditions don't use musical instruments. For example, that comes from that time period. 
I found out not long ago that even in New England, when America was not yet a country, the first Baptist church that was in the United States of America, which weren't yet the United States of America, there was no singing in those church services. It was just prayer and preaching. And so music, which was a part of church life for those folks when they were back in England, they didn't bring that into the church service for decades. Um, not decades and decades, but for quite a long time, there was actually no music at all. And so with it, it's hard for us to get outside of our generation. We're kind of only no church the way we've known it. But really for throughout history, the arts have played a, a very um, varying role. Sermons have, have pretty much always been there. Scripture reading has pretty much always been there. Prayer has pretty much always been there to different levels and with different emphasis. Uh, sermons haven't always. I mean, there were times in the Middle Ages when there was no sermon. Um, again, for decades and decades, there was just no sermon. You would go through the liturgy and there was no homily. They would leave that out, uh, which led to an anemic church. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we have sermons back. But I, I do think that gives us really also a, a sense of possibility. Like just because it hasn't been that way recently doesn't mean that it can't be that way in the short term future because the church is always adapting to culture, growing, uh, expressing, finding, finding scripture that it had lost for a while. Uh, we've talked about Ezra and, and Nehemiah chapter eight and, and that whole, they found the book of the law. Wow. And then they read it. Well, we kind of all have that experience. Every few years, a preacher will find a text that for some reason has been ignored for a while, and then it becomes something that the church talks about. We can be those people. We, we can have that prophetic role to just say, hey, you know, this kind of creativity has biblical evidence and biblical precedent, and we're missing out on the fullness of what the Bible has for us. So let's re-engage what the Bible says worship ought to be about. And, and I just want to, I would say, go there cautiously and slowly, but we can go there and help these things come back to life in our church gatherings. And, and that gives me hope. Yes. And, you know, that one of my favorite uh, stories that I tell my students when I teach about theater history is that theater was sort of dead in the water, and it was the church that brought it back to revitalization. It was the Catholic church that began to act out. The, the priests would act out these biblical narratives, and with costumes and, and set pieces and, I mean, very elaborate things. And these, these passion plays, as they were called, became so popular that the people started coming back to church. And they packed these buildings. They had to make bigger churches. And eventually what happened is they were so popular, this acting way of, of telling the Bible accounts, that they went outside the church building. And that's when you see the beginnings of the pageant wagons where they put it on a wagon. And not long after that, you see the development of the indoor theater and Shakespeare's time. But it was the church that brought that back. They said, this is a creative way that we can get people to understand God's word. And it was a very powerful thing. And it brought people back to the church who had sort of fallen away um, largely because of disinterest. It had become rote, it had become boring. I mean, add to that that many of it was in a language that they didn't understand. <laughs> but <Right. laughs> this, this dramatic element brought it to life, and it was powerful. I'm so glad you brought us back there, because, Craig, you alluded earlier to the fact that we have congregations full of people who are very different from one another. 
And if there is no creativity, then there are people who won't want to come because it doesn't engage their creativity. The, the creatives are not going to want to come and be a part of a church that is uncreative. It's just, it, it's incongruous with who we are as people. Um, yes. and, and Heather, your description of what happened historically was for the, for the audience, so to speak. And, and, you know, the church is at sometimes it's an audience at sometimes they're the actors and then sometimes they're the preachers, you know, the church that has all kinds of roles, but especially for people who are not currently engaged in faith, they really are an audience. They're, they're the ones who are like taking it all in. Uh, and so we, we really do think, I think of creativity first as a reflection of the image of God, but then also as a way to target people that we're not currently reaching. And as a part of a denomination or even broader evangelicals that our kind of temperament in church world is to evangelize, which means we want to engage people who aren't currently engaged. The arts and creativity open up all kinds of opportunities to do that. Billy Graham understood that, you know, he, he was really innovative in who he would share the stage with and took a lot of flack from it. You know, when DC talk was, was cutting edge, DC talk was part of Billy Graham, you know, I mean, now DC talk is more normal, but, back in the day. And, and that's just for the, for those of us who would consider ourselves to, to have evangelism as a value, then certainly the engagement of creativity is a way that we can do that and opens up all kinds of possibilities. So I love the dual nature of that, that we reflect the image of God and we evangelize people, um, testify to the gospel in creative ways, which of course is what God does. So, so we're living out the image of God in, in that very dynamic. And I just think that's exciting. Well, and, and an element of the worship service is giving them something to respond to. So, so in that way, much like the teaching segment of the service, it, a presentation can be something that gives them something to respond to. So certainly lots of ways to generate worship. 